What is going on, guys? Good morning. Welcome back here to another edition of the Malaga Drive Hoops Betting Podcast. I am your host, Caleb, and I am uh, super excited to get after it with you guys today. Um, first things first, if you haven't already, if you could go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Hoops Drive, that's where the majority of the fun goes down. Obviously, I post all my plays, but uh you know it's, it's just a, a really cool way to interact and definitely my favorite way to interact with nba fans so if you haven't already go ahead and follow me at hoops drive on twitter you'll never miss when a podcast is posted um but other than that guys i, I appreciate you all being here we are going to be here uh throughout the year i've got my uh i got my gig now as a as a high school varsity basketball coach of a program that i really love super super excited about that but should it still uh leave me i mean i'll be busy but it should leave me with plenty of time um to analyze the nba from all angles so whether that be the betting perspective like we'll get into today um the storyline perspective which you know really never goes away or just analytical matchups and and things like that Uh, whether it be on youtube on these podcasts on twitter i'll be here trying my very best to make content around uh, the game that I really, really love. So I, I appreciate you being here today. Today we're going to talk about the uh, Western Conference win totals. Um, if you haven't already made an Eastern Conference win total uh, podcast last week, uh, posted my plays on Twitter, and now it's time to get into the Wild Wild West. But um, I just think, um, you know, obviously we bet throughout the year on the slate and games, but I think win totals are a super fun way uh, to bet the NBA too because you're you're – almost you're riding with a team all year long and you basically every single game have money on them to an extent um and so it's, it's cool for for someone like me you know that loves the nba to kind of you know you start following you know certain beat riders and, and, and keeping up with the team a little bit more the players uh and you can really be you know there aside that fan base um for that journey and so uh, locked in four for the Eastern Conference. I, I would say I don't like the Western Conference um, as much in terms of a value perspective. Um, I think I'm slightly higher on, on a couple teams, and we'll get into that. Uh, but I'd say as a whole, there wasn't as much value here. But there is definitely a lot to unpack. Uh, weird year for the West last year where you saw a ton of major injuries. You saw Lakers, who everyone thought was going to be a major player, uh, kind of bow out because of injuries. You saw the Clippers, who... Um, were reloaded and ready to rock. They they dealt with you know a ton of injuries with Kawhi and Paul George and and uh, you know COVID. And then the Nuggets, you know, they lose Jamal towards the end of the year. And then the Suns come out of nowhere. The Jazz kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about how I see the West playing out this year. Again, there's no way we can predict exactly what's going to happen, um, but I do think there are a couple spots that we can target here. Um, that are profitable profitable spots in the long run. But um, again, guys, uh, the love and support really means the world to me. I'm going to continue grinding this out. Thank you for being here with me today. And uh, without further ado, let's jump into the the Western Conference this year. Let's get into the wild, wild West. And first things first. Um, I had an observation as I was going through the West and, and their win totals. And um, I think the books are expecting a lot more parity this year. You see the highest uh, win total this year is 53 and a half. That is the LA Lakers um, would put them at about a 66 win percentage. Um, and that'd be a lot lower than generally you'd see from a one seed in, in any conference. You see it over in the, in the East, you got higher totals, but Lakers are the highest in the West, not even at 55 so I'm expecting, or I'm not expecting necessary, but uh, the books are expecting that teams are going to beat up on each other this year, that there's not one team that truly stands out from the pack. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But what I will say is that I think normally when you look at win totals, a lot of times the value comes from, you know, the mid-tier teams or the lower tier teams and, and the good teams are all juiced up because they know uh, that probably is what's going to attract the most money. But you're not necessarily seeing that this year with the Western Conference. Um, and so that lends me to some overs that I like with some of the uh, some of the upper echelon teams in the West. But we will see. Let's start with the first one. I have played it. It is the Phoenix Suns. fifty Over 51 and a half wins. And, and let me tell you why. Well, first, uh, you know, f- first off, 
let's recap last year. Um, they obviously had a really, really good year, finished second in the West, uh, 51 and uh, 51 and 21 was their final record, giving them a win percentage of about 71%. Now, uh, you come into this year and you're going to need them to win about for them to go 52 and 30, which would indeed cast this over. Um, that puts them at about a 63 win percentage. So last year, 71, uh, they would have to be, they could go eight, be 8% worse than they were than they were, than they were last year and, and still cash this total. But here on this podcast, we like to look at the big picture. We don't, we don't want to leave any stone unturned here. So let's let's play some devil's advocate and look at, you know, a couple of reasons why there would be concern and then address that shit so we can really feel good about playing. So uh, two things. One, they had a deep run last year. We saw that with the Miami Heat and the Lakers. Quick turnaround leads to tired players. And it's not just tired physically. It is tired mentally. When you make a run like that, it drains you physically, obviously. But it takes a lot of mental energy to be locked in on a game play plan that long, to be playing high-stakes basketball. Every game, every possession matters for so long. It is a grind, and it was really the first time that Devin Booker experienced that. It was the first time DeAndre Ayton experienced that. It was the first time McCall Bridges experienced that. It was the first time for a lot of dudes on that team besides Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, right? So you have this sort of fatigue level mentally and physically um, that comes with making a deep run second thing would be and we talked a little bit about it earlier but um, the west was weird last year right the lakers the biggest the big bad lakers struggled last year and you can maybe make in a make a a point that the the west as a whole will be better next year uh, but I honestly, I, I do think that comes more from the lower echelon teams than the upper echelon teams. And so my my response to both of those would be, one, uh, the Lakers in Miami, they did make a deep run, um, and it clearly hurt them. But they had a much quicker turnaround than the Suns did. The Suns have a more normal offseason length. Um, and the second thing there is, I, again, we talked about it, the West is not. The West is not going to magically get all that much better. You, you know, you look around and they're still – teams with issues the, the Clippers are going to be without quiet for a while Jamal is not going to be there for a while in Denver right and so yeah the, the the lower teams might be getting a little bit better than they were last year but the upper echelon teams there's no one that's running away with this thing and so I'm not overly concerned about that um, as for why I really like this total again in a in a league you know especially this year where there's a lot of change there's eight new head coaches. That's eight different systems that are going to be implemented. And, and you can know of as much as you want about a background with a coach and what they do and what they provide. You really don't know how the players are going to gel with that system and how that system is going to bear itself out until you see basketball evidence. And with this Phoenix Suns team, we have clear basketball evidence that this is a good basketball team. They're good personnel-wise. They're good their coaching staff is, is up there. You know, they had a top-of-the-line defense. They had a good offense. And everyone is back, right? Like, every key player that was big for them last year is back. The coaching staff, the same. They added some vet, some some uh, key rotational guys. I think Landry will be perfect for their system. Um, I think Alfred Payton can provide some stability if, if CP ever needs to rest. Um and they added one more guy, JaVale. JaVale, they didn't really have a backup center that they could count on last year. You know, Jalen Smith wasn't ready. Frank Kaminsky knew the system, but it's just limited physically. JaVale, he's not going to be good for more than 10 to 15 a night, but he can help there spell DeAndre Aiden a little bit more. Um, and so really you have a, a clear basketball system all back in place with a coaching staff you like. And lastly, McCall Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, we talked about their first playoff run, but you know, you can expect natural progression from dudes this young where it's like, all right, I'm finally here. I've had my I'm here moment. Now let me put every resource and energy I have now into my career. Um, I think you see that. I think you see a natural progression from McCall Bridges. I think you see a natural progression from DeAndre Ayton. 
And Devin Booker's already a absolute sub, but I think you see him just get that much better as well. So are there some rest and injury concerns? Sure. Um, but I think last year shows, one, that this Phoenix Suns team is very, very good at basketball. Two, that they understand now how important seeding is, right, especially after that run last year where, where Phoenix was rocking. And, and obviously AD got hurt, but, you know, I, I think Phoenix has a good chance to win that series, even if AD stays healthy because of home court advantage and, and you know, what that, that what dynamic that brought. Uh, so I'm all over on the Suns. You just, you know, there's so many teams in the league and, and in this conference where it's like, shit, whether it be new coach, new personnel, major injury to a player, I don't know how this team's going to go on for 82 games. Like, there's too much in the air. The Phoenix Suns are one of the safer teams here, um, and I will easily take their over at 51 and a half. Next up, we have the Los Angeles Clippers. Their total is sitting at 44 and a half on my book. Um, and I uh, I can't lie, I'm back here. I'm leaning the over. I have not played it. Um, but, again, we go back to just what they have. To, the, the starting point for me is what they have to be. Last year, 47 and 25, 65% winning percentage. Really a, a good year, all things considered. Um, had some up and down stretches. Kawhi missed some time. PG missed some time. COVID, new team. All in all, they were really, really solid from start to finish last year. This year, in order to, if they hit their total by one game, they'd put them at about a 55% winning percentage. So 10% worse um, from last year. And I think that's slightly off. I can't lie. I think you you clearly you expect them to be a little bit worse in the regular season this year as they're missing their best player. For a, you know, with Kawhi, you, you never know. Like that dude is not going to play till he's fully, fully healthy. And so, um, look, if you told me you missed the whole regular season, I wouldn't be surprised. But if you also told me he came back towards the end to gain a rhythm for the playoffs, I also wouldn't be surprised. Um, that being said, I, look, they beat the Utah Jazz without Kawhi Leonard. And, yes, the Jazz had their issues, too. Mike Conley was clearly not right. Donovan Mitchell was honestly not right. And Rudy Gobert was kind of neutralized because the Clippers were able to get downhill so easily and so consistently. So consistently. But you're basically taking a team that won against the best regular season team in the league, made a push against the Phoenix Suns. They they obviously came up short, and the Suns were the better team. But they made a push. It was not a comfortable uh, a win for the Phoenix Suns. And it's basically the same team, right? And, and so we talked about it right before. I put a lot of stock in win totals. And the biggest thing I almost look at is the coach and the coaching staff. And the stability that they can provide. And Ty Lue, I think, is really king of doing that. He did a really good job with this group last year. And a team that is not super easy to manage, um, you know, out, off the court. You know, PG has his things. Kawhi has his things. He, he resurrected Reggie, you know, got the most out of every role player. And I think you see a similar thing this year. Like, obviously, it's one thing to be able to you know, have a group that has success in the playoffs when you're playing certain guys 40 a night and you're not going to be playing PG 40 a night, Reggie Jackson, 38 minutes a night, right? It's not going to be that extreme where they needed to squeeze the most out. Um, but at the same time, I think 10% worse is a large expectation. And I think it's it's an almost enough right now to warrant playing the over here. It's it's a such a stable system with such a stable coaching staff. Well, the guy at the top in PG who I think is still a, who I know is still an absolute stud. Reggie Jackson, I, people are, are, I feel like, almost waiting for Reggie to go back to being Reggie. But sometimes you see players make clear changes. And, and I think it's it's not even necessarily working harder on the game. It's just a mindset thing. Like Reggie just, you could tell he's free from whatever it was that he was struggling with. And he's a different person. And it's manifested itself out on the court. And I just don't think that's something that just, you know, it'd be one thing if it was a 10 game stretch. He was the real deal for a whole NBA season, regular season, and playoffs. So I just, I can't say that I'm expecting Reggie to go back to what he was in Detroit. I think he's for real. And then you just surround the team with a lot of really good role players who know their worth, who know what they need to do within their role to succeed. Ty Lu does a good job of that. And so you have a team that I think can sneak out 45 games. Now, I have not played it yet, but I do definitely lean the over slightly here. I had it um, when I put it up at 46 and a half. 
right? I, I really do think they go win 46-ish, 47 games. Even if they win 46, you know, that that's 46 and 36. That's not a it's not a ton, a ton of wins. But again, I think they just think that these teams are gonna beat up on each other, and that's why they're setting it a little bit lower. Um but again, I'm not necessarily on these teams going for the most talented teams or this and that. It's teams that I know provide stability in their personnel and coaching staff. And the Lakers, or sorry, the Lakers, the Clippers 100% do that. So I lean the over at 44 and a half here for sure. I think they definitely have a worse year than last year as they are missing their best player. But I think it's almost too much. The books have over-adjusted for Kawhi Leonard's absence. It's still a deep team that knows how to win basketball games, a ton of veterans, um, but also some young guys that can can come up and, and really provide help for this team as well. So I do lean the, the Clippers over here. All right, let's keep it moving with the big, bad, mighty Lakers. Uh, Vegas win total, uh, the most common line around the place, is going to be 53 and a half. And uh, this is a, a pass for me. I think it's right about where it should be. Uh, but I will talk about it a little bit for people that are considering it. Um, look, last year was a, a down year, obviously. They lose AD uh, for a large, large portion of the year. LeBron gets hurt for a large portion of the year. Um, and, you know, the, the rest of the team in that winning culture did their best to fill in the gaps. Um, but as a re- result of uh, <clears throat> those injuries, clearly it wasn't a good regular season for them last year. Um, finished with a win percentage of just about 58%, 42 and 30. Their win total this year implies that they have to go uh, 54, uh, win 54 games, which would put them at about a 66% win total, uh, about 8% better this year. Um, and while I think I, I, you know, I like that in theory, there's just a lot up in the air here. And it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's not just, the top end with Russ, but it's it's the role players around those three guys as well. Um, we've seen in the last couple of years in LA, AD and Braun at the head, but really a, a, a group around those two that they gel with, you know, that they knew every single night what they were going to get. And there were some limitations around those two, especially in the, sh- in the shooting department. But defensively, from a basketball standpoint, from a team perspective, you knew what you were going to get. And it was going to be enough, you know. Um, if LeBron and AD stayed relatively healthy. This year, though, we got the Russell Westbrook experiment. Um, and, you know, I go back and forth on whether the hate for him now has reached a point where it's almost too much hate. Um, and I think there's a valid argument there. But I also think there's plenty of valid- validity to the people that bring up Russell Westbrook's uh, flaws because they are glaring. And, um, you know, there's definitely a scenario where it doesn't mesh super well with Bron, right? Um, Russell Westbrook's a guy who's talked about it. When he left Houston, he was cool with James Harden, but it was like, hey, I want to go to a team where I have the ball the majority of the time. And then he went to D.C., had that. And, yes, he was hurt. And, yes, it wasn't a great team around him and Beal, but uh, they were a fringe playoff team, made the play in, I think, as a ninth seed, lost to the Celtics, um, beat, the, beat the Pacers, and – got swept, I believe, in the first round. I don't think they won a game. Um, All that to say, you know, I think he's a good floor raiser. I think Russell Westbrook will help you if you're a bad team be okay. I don't think he's a great ceiling raiser. Um, And really, at this point, we're looking for a ceiling here. So I don't know where he fits in with LeBron and and AD. Um, I will be waiting definitely to see that. It hasn't looked good in the preseason, but I don't think you can put too much stock into that. Um, and then outside of that, you know, we have a whole nother rotation. Every, almost every rotation player is new. Uh, one of the few that wasn't, Taylor Horton Tucker, is going to be out for a while. So you have, you know, new backup point card in, in Kendrick Nunn, new wing players in Ariza and Baysmore. Um, Malik Monk is new. Wayne Ellington's new. Like, it's just Dwight Howard's, you know, I guess has been there, but he's new in this team. So it's, it's just a lot. Um, that has to go right for a team that, again, you know their eyes are going to be focused on when it matters and, and getting LeBron and, and AD healthy to the finish line. Could they hit this over? Sure. Uh, but if you told me they won 52, 53 games on the dot and didn't cash this, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I am staying away. 
All right, moving forward to the Golden State Warriors, another team where I uh, I feel the line straight on. Do do I think we're going to be better this year? Yes. Do I think uh, we hit our stride more towards the second half of the season when Clay comes back? Yes. Um, do I think we're an elite team at this point? No. So uh, I you know forty eight and a half is the total for Vegas right now. Um, I think we win about 48, 49 games. It could go absolutely either way. Um, and then one of the things here is there isn't a big room for error here. You know, we saw it last year. The Warriors, I thought the total was way, way, way too low. Um, and we ended up cashing it. But we almost didn't because Seth Curry missed eight, nine, ten games. Um, if that happens this year, I think – this total is in trouble. If Seth Curry has any sort of somewhat significant stretch where he's out, uh, Warriors are going to struggle. I think that's clearly obvious, but uh, I think more so than a lot of these teams where I think the Nuggets are equipped to handle Jamal Murray being out. I think the Lakers could handle Russell Westbrook or AD missing a couple games. You know, I, I already think, you know, the Clippers are going to handle Kawhi being out for a decent amount. I don't know that I can say the same about this Warriors team because I have not seen them be successful for any sort of stretch or capacity without Steph Curry. So um, for me, I think the injury, not necessarily concern, but like the, it just leaves little room for error. I think the vets as a whole are going to be a much better fit for uh, the style of offense that Steve Curry runs. And I think it's going to be a lot more fluid. I, I, I have hopes for a decent defense. I like this team. I like my team long-term and I, I have high hopes for them this year that they can make somewhat of a, a deep ish playoff run. Uh, but for a regular season total, again, this is a team that I think is more dangerous in the playoffs than the regular season. Um, do I think 48 and a half games is in range? Sure. Um, but I'm definitely not going to be playing this. Next up, the last team in the Pacific Division, the Sacramento Kings. Last year, um, you know, I think they get kind of looked at as this shit show, and they, they are to a, a decent extent. But even last year, finished 31 and 41. Uh, a 43% winning percentage this year. Their total set at 36 and a half. They'd need to win 37 games. 37 divided by 82 is 45. So essentially, you're asking, can they get 2% better? Can they be 2% better than they were in the regular season last year? Um, that being said, I, I think this is right on line. Um, I think the West as a whole becomes slightly harder, especially at the bottom. I think the Kings are going to get slightly better. Uh, but it's just such a difficult team to project. On one hand, you have a head coach that leans um, leans pointing the over. He Luke Walton has some Tom Thibodeau in him to where it's like, all right, I'm going to play the players that help me win, and if you aren't really contributing to winning, I'm not going to play you. And he had no problem playing Harrison Barnes 38 minutes a night, De'Aaron Fox 35, 36 minutes a night. Uh, because he knew he needed that, and he knew he was somewhat fighting for his life in terms of his job, and I think we're going to see that again this year. If the Sacramento Kings aren't at least like the, because they've been so bad, the 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 level of acceptable is like mediocre. Like at this point, what we've seen is all right. If you're mediocre, that's already surpassing expectations at this point. You're good, and I think that's why they gave Luke Walton another shot. Um, and so it, it just gives up because they're by they're every single night. Luke feels like he's almost battling for his job. You know, the, the Kings want so badly, you know, there's some teams that it's like, all right, we'd rather be really bad than, than be mediocre because, you know, it, look at the thunder, right? They could go maybe battle for a nine, 10 playing game if they wanted to, um, with, you know, free agent additions or whatever, but, that's not really the best for the future. That's not the case here with Sacramento. They will battle all throughout the year just so they can even, you know, have a shot at the playing and they will consider that a win. So um, it's that, you know, perspective, you know, I, I do like the over, but at the end of the day, it's, there's a lot up in the air. Their, their best lineup might include Halliburton, Mitchell, and Fox, Barnes at the four, Holmes at the five, and even that's a little wacky, you know. You have Buddy Heald still who basically does everything poorly besides shoot the basketball. But because shooting the basketball is so important, you know, is playing heavy minutes. And so it's just a really hard team to try and predict. Um, 
especially because, you know, we don't know the impact that Davion Mitchell is going to have right away. But it's a team last year that you can never really rule out. And they had weird stretches. They had a stretch where they reeled off nine straight, looked like a playoff team. And then they'll have stretches where they lose 10 straight. And so you're looking for some sort of consistency in the middle. I'm sure they get closer to that. I love Hallie. I love Fox. I love Rashawn. I like HB. Um, and I like having a coach fighting for his life in terms of the regular season, but it's just not enough for me to hit at 36 and a half. If they, if they brought this down to 34 and a half, you know, 33 and a half, I'd be much more inclined to, to throw, but, uh, at 36 and a half, it's priced just about right where they expect the Kings to remain mediocre, not, not quite bad enough where they're in the dumps, but not quite good enough where they're really challenging for a playoff spot. Um, I think they'll be in the play in mix, you know, because that goes all the way to the 10th seed. Um, but I think they'll, again, find themselves just on the outside looking in because it's a weirdly constructed roster uh, with not enough wings and, and big men and, and a lot of guards. Um, and it's definitely a task for, for Walton to figure out. I think he can to a certain extent. Uh, but I also think it's it's just going to be tough to, to really for this team to surpass, you know, 38, 39 games without – um, really gets getting huge improvements from Hallie and Mitchell being ready to go uh, from the jump. On to the next division, we got the Southwest. We'll lead it off with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, kind of a weird year for them last year. Started off really poorly, and, and you know people were kind of freaking out in, in Dallas. And uh, then as as the season went on, they they kind of grew into themselves. It was clear there was some weird tension between Carlisle and the group, but it never really manifested itself during the regular season, and they didn't really have ever have a meltdown moment. All things considered, um, they finished 42-30 and 30 with a winning percentage of 58%. Uh, fifth in the West, and I think that was deserved. You know, they weren't uh, – I don't think that's a fluky 42-30 and 30 in either direction. This year, their total is going to be, uh, I believe – 48 and a half. Let me make sure that I'm not misspeaking. Uh, yes, total is going to be 48 and a half. Would need to win 49 games to cash their total. 49 games would put them at a win percentage of 59.7 roundup. We'll go 60. So got to be about 2% better than last year. And this is what I mean where, you know, they're, they're kind of, books are kind of saying, all right, let's Let's run it back in a way. We'll get the Lakers up there like they should. And then every other team will kind of run it back at their production from last year. And the Mavs are one where it's like, really, for me, it comes down to one, Luca and his progression as a leader and, and head of the snake, and two, Jason Kidd. And one, I feel pretty good about Luca. You know he's going to continue to get better and better. And you see guys that are super, super talented early on and, and kind of over – over exceed, I guess that's redundant, and they exceed expectations. Um, you almost see like a year four, year five, eventually, where it's like, shit, they had been over exceeding. So they, I'm not saying they weren't working hard, but it was like, all right, I've already kind of gone through that initial rookie, like exceeding the hype. And not that they would necessarily rest on their laurels, but they, you don't necessarily see the crazy jump you'd expect for coming in that good. Then year three or four comes, and then that comes. You saw it with Jokic last year going from a really, really good player, all-star, to now superstar. And Luka's already in that superstar tier. But I think some there's some concern. Not concern, but you could say he didn't naturally take as big of a jump as some would have thought, given the hype coming in and how good he was early on. I think this is the year. I think this – if you told me Luka won MVP, I would not be shocked at all. I think he's the favorite. So, no, I know. Not a hot take there. Um, but the other thing is Jason Kidd. And the last look we had at Jason Kidd was uh, a couple of years ago in, in Milwaukee. He wasn't good as a head coach. He didn't get the most out of his group, but he's had some time to learn in L.A., um, kind of readjust his style and who he wants to be, um, and is ready to go for another stint in Dallas where he played a lot. Now, I can't tell you that I know how good he's going to be as a coach. I can't tell you that I know really much about his philosophy or, or how he's going to go about implementing it. And so for that reason, I'll stay away. Now I do lean the over because again, they got to get 2% better from really a tumultuous year, you know, especially at the start, they did a really good job of rebounding after the start. 
Um, but you go down the line, Luca played almost every game, but you know, they had COVID at the start of the year, Josh Richardson, Doran, Finney Smith, Maxi Kleba, uh, Dwight Powell, all missed significant time. Kristaps was hurt at the beginning of the year as well with his knees coming back, took about a month to come back after that. He got hurt late in the season, and so there was just a lot a lot going on in Dallas, and there was a lot going on in a lot of different camps. Um, but I'd like to think they can just slightly improve um, and hit this over 48.5. It's a slight lean on the over. I'm not going to play it, um, but I do, I do like the Dallas Mavericks over this year. Next team, we're going to head to the – Memphis Grizzlies, and I was basically slight on, right on. I slightly lean the over, but the total's coming out at 41 and a half. Uh, I have them at about 42, 43, so 42 and a half. I think slight one game edge here. Not enough for me to play it. They need to go 42 and 40 to cast their total, which I think is very doable. Um, I've been on the Grizzlies the past year years. I didn't actually hit them last year. Hit them the year before. Um <clears throat> And I like them this year. The books are always going to be a little bit down on them because they are the opposite of a sexy team. They're not going to attract a lot of money. Uh, but they took real improvements and steps forward last year. A lot of that starts with Taylor Jenkins. He's a really in – a, in a league now where you see coaches come in, not be able to get the guys, not be able to, you know, really put their best foot forward early on, Taylor Jenkins was the opposite. He came in two years ago, took a team that had a win total, I think, at 26 and a half. And really push them towards potentially being in the play-in, uh, just losing to the Blazers. Then last year they get to the play-in, um, beat the Warriors, obviously going and lose to the Jazz. But it's a team that's clearly building. Um, they have their young pieces. Josh should be better. Jaron should be better. Um, Xavier, T- they're they're just a really deep team that goes probably twelve to fourteen guys deep. Um, with a really good coach and a, and talent at the top end that I believe in long term in John Morant and Jaron Jackson. So not a sexy team by any means. Uh, it's the Memphis Grizzlies, but I do think that they're going to be in the thick of it. Um, if you told me they were the seventh seed or eighth seed this year, I would not be surprised at all. And so it's a slight lean on the over, have to go 42 and 40. I think there's a decent case they do that. They just got to withstand uh, the injury issues. And and honestly, they're a team that can do that because they are so deep. But um, if they do lose jaw for a large stretch, it is going to be really, really tough for them, similar to the Warriors. Um, and for that reason, I'm just going to, to lay off here. Um, Spurs. Spurs, Spurs, Spurs. This is a really interesting one. And one that kind of has my head um, in a little bit of a twist. The total is 29 and a half here. I had mine at 33, so there's definitely value here. I just want to see if I'm missing something. So last year they go 33 and 39, win percentage of about 46. Um, This year they need to win 30 games to surpass their win total, which would be a winnings percentage of about 36. That's a 10% drop-off, and it is a different team, right? They lose their best player in DeMar DeRozan, but you peel back the numbers, and I've talked about it on my other podcast before, the Spurs were actually a better team on the court when DeMar DeRozan was off the court. Um, and this wasn't the first time in a while. And there's a lot of weird things that go into it. Um, I'm sure there are some lineups that uh, Greg Popovich used where DeMar DeRozan was kind of holding together that lineup and he wasn't playing with a lot of good guys, right? I'm, I'm sure that is part of the case. But there is something there where DeMar has not been a plus defender. He can't shoot the three. Um, and he can definitely have positive value on certain teams and in certain constructs. Um, but I think him as the lead guy, it caps you. And clearly, you know, the Spurs didn't make the playoffs last year and they weren't amazing. But for me, you're looking at this year needing a their, – their total is a 10% worse, right? They'd have to be 10% more than 10% worse not to, to cash this total. And I don't know that I can say DeMar DeRozan is worth that. It's still Greg Popovich. And yes, they lose to Patty Mills too, but it's it's still Greg Popovich. It's still a system. And it's not like there isn't talent there, you know? Like I, I'm sure they're in for more of a rebuild year, but DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Jakob Pertl, Keldon Johnson, um, drafting Josh Primo, bringing in Jock Lawndale and, and Doug McDermott and, you know, guys like that. It, it's a team that you can't just steamroll and so are they worse than the kings yes is there should there be a seven game difference between the two i i don't know i i really don't know i mean you're 
you're putting a six game difference between them and an OKC Thunder team um, that really tanked for the whole second half of last year and, and really has no reason to do any differently. So I think the Spurs can pick up 30 games this year just on the pure fact of the system. Again, DeMar's gone, but it's not like this continuity has gone, right? It's the same system they've run for years with mostly the same players. And the players that have come in aren't high usage guys that demand, you know, a reorganizing of, of the hierarchy there for shots. So um, I like the over here. I haven't played it, but I do really like the over here. I know as a whole, this, this conference is going to be harder, um, but you know, injuries are still going to happen and it could happen to the Spurs, but injuries will still happen. There's going to be times where they get teams with not their best squad. I like the Spurs over 29 and a half. I hit them last year. It was probably the easiest cash of all my win totals that I had last year. Um, and again, I, I like running it back with the Spurs. Again, I, I just think do and this is not even to say like, oh, I'm super high on the Spurs. They're gonna be a playing team. Like they don't have to be a playing team even to cash this. They win 30 games. That's 32, you know, that's 22 games under 500. They, yeah, no, that's 22. That's 22 games under 500. That's not a quote good year. They're still cashing their total. I think it's an overreaction to the loss of DeMar DeRozan. Um and so I, I definitely like the over 29 and a half. I will say, though, I haven't played it because it's still something I'm thinking on. Next game, the Pelicans, or next team, the Pelicans, spot on here. I had 39 and a half. The book has 39 and a half. Uh, puts them just at about 500. I've been high on the Pelicans for a while. I can't lie. I really think Zion's that dude. I believe in Brandon Ingram. Even back when they had Drew Holiday, I was like, dude, this team has a lot of talent. Uh, last year, the personnel just didn't jive. Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe with that group did more harm than it did good. It, it shrunk the floor for Brandon Ingram. It shrunk the floor for Zion Williamson. Uh, Lonzo had a good year, but I, I really think this team is set up a lot better to get the most out of their, their top two guys. And, um, yeah, you could argue those two should make others better, but we're still so young in their careers. You want to put them in the best environment rather than the other way around. Um, and so I think Devonte giving more space, um, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, I think has shown a lot of upside as a secondary score playmaker and even a shooter. Uh, I just think the team makes a lot more sense around their two stars. Um, and, and I, I like all the early signs from Willie green, but for me, this is spot on. I can't say, you know, I can't get too ahead of myself and say, oh, all right, they're an easy six fit seed now. Um, but I definitely don't think they're a bottom feeder. And so right on, I'm, I'm right on line with 39 and a half. I'd still take the experience and continuity from a team we've seen be successful in like a team like the Grizzlies um, than a, a Pelican team that we haven't seen quite do it yet. All right. Last team in this division is the Houston Rockets. And this is another one like the Spurs that has me a little puzzled. The books opened it up at 26 and a half uh, even money for the over 26 and a half minus 130 for the under i have uh i have the rockets at around 21 and a half um we'll use our normal um conversion here the rockets had a win percentage of 23 and a half percent won 23 and a half percent of their games last year um total of 26 and a half would mean they need to win 27 which would mean they win 27 and cast their total they go to 33 and a half of their games um, which is 10% better than last year. It was a bad year for them, right? James Harden issues. John Wall was not who John Wall was before he got hurt. Christian Wood was hurt for a lot of the year. They add Jalen Green. KPJ didn't play for all the year. But 10% is a lot better that you have to get. Um, and while the talent is ridiculous, right? Like this team is dripping with talent. You go down the line. KPJ, Jalen Green, Christian Wood, Alperin Sengun, uh, Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba. Like, it's a, the Rockets, for as much shit as they got in that James Harden thing, they're suddenly sitting here looking really good in, in terms of this rebuild, right? They snagged the best rebuild piece last year in free agency and see Wood, you know, get, move into the two spot, take a absolute future stud in Jalen Green, trade for KP, Kevin Porter Jr. on the low. 
um, from Cleveland, draft Usman Karuba and Alperen Sangun, right? They're doing really well within this rebuild, and the talent is massive there. I just don't know if it's – it's really hard to win NBA basketball games. It, it really is. Talent is not enough. Coaching is not enough. You need a mixture of both, and then some nights your talent will carry you through. Some night a game plan and coaching will carry you through. But in general, you need both on any any given night. And I didn't see enough from Silas last year. Granted, insanely hardier to manage. You can't really dock him from last year. But it wasn't like I saw anything that made me go, oh, my gosh, Steven Silas is a ridiculous coach. Like, he's the next Phil Jackson, you know? So, for me, it's a really tough spot where I lean the under here. But because I'm off so much here, uh, there's some cause for concern here that maybe I'm not taking into effect some things enough. And so let's look at that. You have Kevin Porter Jr. playing all year. He's an upgrade on John Wall. I will say that right now. Christian Wood missed so much of last year, and they had no reason to rush him back. You would think he plays more, but there's still some injury risk there. Um, and then Jalen Green, the, the last factor of Jalen Green and how good he is right away, right? Like, I, I think this guy is the front runner for rookie of the year. I've talked about it on my awards podcast. Go ahead and listen to that if you haven't already. Um but I think he's rookie of the year basically locked in if he stays healthy. I think his game lends super, super well to being flashy and scoring. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, he's helping you win basketball games on a uh, on a consistent basis right now. So for me, it's a lot of talent that needs to be sort of ironed out and put into a, a system that can maximize everyone. I don't know that I saw that from Silas. And we'll see this year. Um, 26 and a half is just seems like a little too high for a team that again, should be tanking again, um, is just going to let all the youngins run out there and, and develop. And it's like, all right, well, we just want to get these guys reps in town. We're not necessarily worried about winning 35 games, you know, like it, it's a, this is a development year for the spur or for the Rockets. So for me, I lean the under, I think 26 and a half is just a bit too high. Um, but it scares me here. So I haven't played it yet obviously if you don't already follow me on twitter i'll let you know if i eventually do um but for me i lean the under right there but i'm staying away all right let's move on to the last division um and start off with the front runners of this division the utah jazz have a great have yourselves a year utah last year was unbelievable in the regular season um and like i'm not giving them extra props for this but it wasn't like you know the phoenix suns where the Suns stayed healthy all year long like the Jazz missed Donovan Mitchell for a three-week stretch at the end of the year. They missed Mike Conley for large portions of the year. And everyone else stayed healthy for the most part. But I'm just saying, like, this wasn't a year where they destroyed everyone and everyone stayed healthy. You know, they had their fair share of injuries to deal with. Um, last year, they finished with a win percentage of 72%. They won 52 games out of the 72. This year, their total on my book is set at 52. So in order to win Cash their total 53 games, they'd need to have a win percentage of 64.5%. That's eight and a half, that's seven and a half uh, percentage points worse than last year. And yes, do I think they had some luck with the Lakers going down? Yes, but I think the Suns almost replaced that to an extent in where the Lakers weren't as good as they usually were, but the Suns exceeded those expectations to kind of even out the playing field. You're asking me to get clearly the best regular season team last year. And yeah, they have their issues in the playoffs, but what they do in the regular season is built to win regular season games. So for me, 52 is just way too low. I think that's the bare minimum of games they win. And it would take Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley going down for them not to hit this. So it's weird taking the one and two seed from last year, but I think both uh, have been over adjusted down based on, you know, I'm not going to say the book's calling it a fluke, but maybe the book's just saying, hey, it's a wild, wild west. You don't know. You don't know for sure. But the book's counting on a seven and a half percentage downgrade and an eight and a half percentage downgrade with the Suns and Jazz. The Jazz are the next team that I have locked in. And again, it goes back to what are you looking for in a, in a conference, in a league where so many head coaches are, are new and personnel and systems are new. The Jazz, you know absolutely what they're going to run. You've seen them run it with extreme success, and it's the same team as last year. Every single key piece is back. Mike Conley is back. Donovan Mitchell is back. Joe Ingles is back. Bojan Bogdanovic is back. Rudy Gobert is back. 
Royce O'Neal's back. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's back. I might have already said him. Really, the only difference is, okay, we don't have Georges Niang and Derek Favors, which were the two weak links of their um, of their rotation last year. And they filled that with Hassan Whiteside, who I think can fill in for Derek Favors' role and play that, you know, Rudy Gobert, poor man Rudy Gobert role. And, um, and Eric Pascal, who was not good with the, with the Warriors, but um, can he play a Georges Niang role? Yeah, he, he can. You're not expecting much from him there. So I'm, go, I'm going right back to the well here. I'll hit the Jazz, the best team in the Western Conference regular season last year, um, getting them at over 52. They got to go 53 and 29, which I think is very much uh, within reason here. You're getting the two best teams from last year at reduced prices. Go ahead and lock the Jazz in at 56 – or sorry. 52. I'd have him at 56. Let's keep it rolling with the Denver Nuggets coming out with a total of 48 on the dot. Last year, they went 47 and 25, good for a 65% winning percentage this year. In order to win uh, cash their total, they would need to win 49 games, which would put them at a about a 60% win total. So 5% decrease on their winning percentage of last year. Um, so for me here, I, I, again, I lean the over here and I think the big concern is Jamal Murray, um, obviously plays a huge part of this Denver team, but I think Jamal Murray makes a a bigger impact. His, his absence makes a bigger impact in the postseason. Um, and that's not really a hot take. I think you could say that about, you know, most stars. Um, but I, I, I say that basically to imply that I think. I think the Denver Nuggets can handle not having Jamal Murray for a lot of the regular season. Um, one, you know, all, although he is a point guard and most offenses run through their point guard, this Denver Nuggets offense runs through Nikola Jokic. And Murray's almost there for lightning nights, right? Like where he can explode. But they're not initiating every offensive action through Jamal Murray. That goes through Nikola Jokic. And, I, and obviously the guys that they're going to have filling in Bones Highland, Fasundo Campazzo, Monty Morris aren't Jamal Murray, right? Not even close. They, they don't have the offensive firepower. But as a group, I think they can all give individual components of their game to help make up and mitigate the loss of Jamal Murray this year. And you saw last year, I mean, one, they beat the Portland Trailblazers without Jamal Murray in the playoffs. But two, once he went down, the, you know, when he went down, they were in a seeding race. And they were not really that much worse without Jamal Murray from a pure record perspective. In fact, I think they had about the same uh, record with him. Now, coming into a new season with 82 games, I do, first off, I don't know how much he's going to miss. He seems to be what, well ahead of schedule, but you know there's no reason and, and teams are not going to um, put their franchise guys in any sorts of, sort of risk. Uh, but there's just so much around this Denver Nuggets team, and it's such a deep team with that continuity, with the same system, that I I got to like the over. One, you have Nikola Jokic. Two, you have Michael Porter Jr., who is shooting it at an unbelievable rate. You still have Aaron Gordon. He's re-upped long-term there, fit really well. I think he's the healthiest he's ever been. He's going to have a big year this year. Um, P.J. Dozier is going to step up and give them huge minutes at the two. They still have veteran OG Will Barton, who's a bucket off the bench. And like I said, Fasundo, Composo, Monty Morris, and Bones Highland, you can do a lot worse as a guard rotation, especially when you have Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. Like if you're if you need and are expecting a huge offensive production from your backcourt, okay, you're not going to want to roll with Bones Highland, Fasundo, Composo, and Monty Morris. But when you have Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic, it changes you know what you are asking of that backcourt. And so in this situation. I really do think they can go win 50 games again this year, go 50 and 32. They're going to be a really, really tough out in Denver. Um, they have the the defense and the coaching and the superstar Jokic to go get tough wins on the road. Uh, I think this is a tad too low, as I've been kind of saying with a lot of these teams. I like the Denver Nuggets over uh, 48, and a, 48 this year. Haven't played it yet, but uh, for all the reasons considered above, I, I do think – they have the personnel to withstand Jamal Murray being out. And, and I do think he returns at some point in the regular season as well. So um, 
uh, you know, gun to my head. You know, I, I said kind of a similar thing with the Dallas Mavericks. I would rather go with the Denver Nuggets than the Dallas Mavericks because, again, you have – look, you have the, the Denver team at 48, Dallas at 48 and a half, pretty evenly matched up, but you have the superstar in Yoke. I know they have Luka, but that they run their offense through and have had a ton of success. You have a more stable coaching staff, right, completely new staff in Dallas, um, and you have, a you know, that continuity hasn't gone anywhere. So there's just – a lot less I feel like that you need to worry about in Denver um, as opposed to even like a team in Dallas, which I was still leaning the over. Um, but give me Denver over 48 this year as a slight lean. Again, I'll let you know if I play it. All right, guys, let's run it with the last three teams of, uh, of this episode. Uh, the first of which is going to be the Portland Trailblazers. Their total is coming out to 43 and a half means they got to win 44 games. 44 games would put them at a win percentage of 53 and a half. Last year, um, went out and won. Let's see. Let me get it up so I get the right number. Uh, won 58% of their game. So uh, basically a built-in 5% decrease of last year. Um, and it's interesting because I've been low on the Blazers in their win total the past couple of years. Last year, I'll fully admit it, I had their under- and they want they had to win seven out of eight to get there, and they actually did do that. So I, I did not uh, cash on that, obviously. Um, but all all that here to say is I actually really like the over here this year, and um, it's weird because I feel like okay, finally the books adjust, but I feel like it's it's an over adjustment to to what it should be, and I, I don't really understand why. I have their total here around forty five and a half, forty six. So we're getting some good three, three and a half uh, games of value here on them in my eyes. And I think the the big thing here is just Chauncey Billups, right? Like th- the personnel, you know what you got. The starting lineup's the same. It's going to be Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic. They add Larry Nance to the bench. They add Cody Zeller to the bench. They have Nasir Little, who they like a lot. They have uh, Anthony Simons coming off the bench. Like, this is a decent like role. There are decent role players around Dame here. Now the issue with them is just always going to be their defense. And so that's been Chauncey Billups main focus since being put in, in charge is how are we going to handle our defense? And so look, I don't think Terry Stotts is a bad coach by any means, but he did not have this team playing good defense really for any consistent stretch of his tenure as the Blazers head coach. And and I think that's a big reason of why Chauncey Billups um, got hired. Now, I can't tell you that I know exactly how his implementation is going to go. I can't tell you that he's going to come in and, you know, they're just going to blow the waters out and, and over exceed expectations. But what I can tell you is they don't, they don't have to do that. They have to win 44 games. They have to win 44 of 82 games, just over half, 44 and 38 to cash this win total, and it's a team that's been there. Their their issues are not necessarily regular season fighting for seeding. It's the other way around where they all honestly they almost always outperform expectations and end up with a decent seed. And then when it comes to the playoffs, we see oh shit, this regular season doesn't necessarily always translate. But in here, we don't need to worry about that. So I really like the over here. Again, you look around, Kawhi's still gone. Lakers have issues or maybe not issues, but question marks. Uh, the Nuggets are missing Jamal Murray, you know? So I, I really like the over here with, a, again, it seems like a pretty common thread with a lot of these teams that I'm hitting. The personnel and is the same. There's a lot of continuity there. Yes, it's a new coach, but I think it can only help, um, especially with addressing the defensive side of the basketball. So I really like the over uh, for the Blazers at 43 and a half this year. I haven't hit it yet, uh, but I think uh, – by the time the season rolls around, I will have placed some money on it. So uh, definitely a strong lean there. And then we'll finish with Minnesota and OKC. Uh, start with Minnesota. Another team I was surprised on because I've talked about it. I thought I was going to find some value on the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Kings. Um, and I'm not I'm not quite doing that. So so let's, again, we'll play the, the, the game of what how much percentage they have to be better. Last year, they went 23 and 49 for one percentage of 32%. At their total of 35 and a half right now, they'd have to win 36 games out of 82. That's a 44% winning percentage. That's a 12% difference that they have to beat out. And again, 
I loved what Chris Finch did last year. I think he came in on the fly and changed the culture, changed the program as much as he could, as much as he could on short notice. And now he has a full offseason, but 12% better is a large percentage of the way better. And I know they missed Cat. I know they missed everyone for at least some sort of stretch. There wasn't a single player on that team that didn't miss some time uh, for at least a couple weeks. But it's not like you know, cat. No, I think you can count on cat. Cat's not the issue, but it's not like D'Lo. You know, he's a lock to play all eighty-two. You know, like there's still certain things that can go wrong, and I think putting the number at thirty-five and a half means that things have to go really, really well, and no one really gets hurt for them to get there. Is it possible that they get there? Absolutely, but I think at that price, you really need the, a lot of improvement like a a lot of improvement and while i see definitely this is i think one of the teams that will have the biggest improvement from year to year if you told me they won 35 games i think that would be considered you know a success based off of last year and they're still not casting the total so for me it's just an over adjustment to finch and everyone being there and i like this team to be a lot better and hey fuck they they definitely could be in the playing mix but I honestly will take teams like the Kings, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans. I just have a little bit more faith in their talent level as a whole and cohesive and fit together than the Timberwolves uh, do. So I, I I think I had it at uh, 34 and a half, so slightly under here, but not playing that either, uh, either way. Last team, we got the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was a team that I had the under last year and cashed on, but it was not sweat-free at all. They came out of the year very, very hot and then eventually realized, all right, we're, we're doing this a little too well. Let's uh, let's pull it back a little bit. And I think you'll see a similar thing this year. It just comes down to when do they reach that tipping point. Okay, now let's really focus on tanking. Last year, it was at basically the All-Star break, which left me with just enough room. I don't know when it is this year. And it's one of those things where Shy, if he's even banged up a little bit towards the end of the year, he's not going to play. There's no reason for them to be better and win these games because they, them and the Rockets are really the only team right now, maybe the Spurs, you could even say the Spurs, um, where it's like, all right, not our, our focus is not on the playoffs this year. It's about development. Um, and and as a result, you know, the, the worse you do, the higher – the percentage of you get a good pick, and the higher percentage you get a good pick, the higher percentage uh, of you landing a stud, which changes your franchise. And the Thunder are very aware of that. Obviously, they've loaded up on picks. This is not their year. But with that being said, they have a lot of young guys that I think should show improvement this year, right? Really, every single guy in that team has shown promise in some sort of way or another. Um, and you can expect them to get better as a group. It's just when do they draw the line of all right? All right, we got to lose now. We, you know, we we've seen some good stuff here. We're happy with. Let's turn on the tank, and you don't know when that's coming. So I think twenty three is spot on. Where hey, if they they win some games, they shouldn't maybe early on, but at the end of the year, they just go on a large, large losing streak. And I think twenty three is really spot on with them. So to recap, guys, I have played the Suns over fifty one and a half. I've played the Jazz over fifty two. I really like the Blazers and eventually going to play that. Um, I lean the Spurs over. I lean the Rockets under. Just a little bit fishy with the Spurs. We don't know what they're going to look like uh, without DeMar and how bad it can get. I do think it's an over-adjustment. And uh, with, the, with the Rockets, they have a ton of talent, but I don't know that they have the coaching staff and uh, the ability to, to have that necessarily translate as quick as they want it to. Um, other than that, guys, I think – not even other than that. I think we're good. I think we covered everything. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope this gave you some insight. And I, I love writing with team totals because you, you basically become a fan of that team every single game that year. And you really get to uh, get a better feel for their storylines. You know, that they're you basically join their fans on Twitter. You kind of can get a feel for where they are at as a team and, and ride with their highs and lows. And uh, it's a fun way to bet the NBA, too, other than just, you know, game to game. Um, especially because you have so much built in, right? Like one game of the season is basically like a minute uh, in the first quarter, right? So um, you have a lot more room. I feel like we're in a game. You can have the right call 
and it still doesn't go your way. Basically, in this, you know, if if you have the right call, there's 82 games for it to bear out in your favor. So uh, definitely a fun way to play this, and I I, I encourage. If I'll say too right now, if you guys bet, because I assume if you're listening to this, you bet in some capacity. Don't bet on Bovada, man. Don't bet on my bookie, especially. I know it can be really tough to bet um, in in states where it's not legal, uh, but Bovada is just not worth the hassle. There's a withdrawal fee. You got to go cash a check from like Bank of Nova Scotia. Like it, it's just sketch. I can't even lie to you. It's it's a hassle. You can't withdraw more than once or twice a month. Go ahead, hit me up. I'll get you set up with my bookie. Uh, he'll pay at the end of each week. You don't even have to put money into your account, right? Which can be dangerous. Obviously we, we preach uh, discipline betting here, but um, it, it's just a, a lot better of a, a betting experience. So if you need someone to place any bet, you, again, you don't have to be betting every day or every site. Like you can have one bet a week that you like, you place it, you win it, you get your money. So let me know if that's ever an issue with you. Uh, I'll be happy to get you set up. Other than that, guys, follow me on Twitter, follow me on YouTube, follow me on TikTok and Instagram content coming all year. I appreciate you tuning in. Much love for you all. And we'll be back again with another episode soon. NBA season in in a week, baby. Let's go.